Hello and welcome to Ignite Your Influence Podcast, a place you go to ignite your influence. <laughs> I was trying to be all dramatic. Hey, this is Anne Bonnie, and welcome to Ignite Your Influence Podcast, episode 128. Today we have Lisa Fay on with us. She's going to talk a little bit about igniting your influence when it comes to sales and communication. She's a communication expert, so she knows about this stuff. She's also a well-experienced world traveler. She tells some great stories in this episode about traveling the world and building influence with people that you are of a completely different culture and language and, you know, all of those things. So she's got some great stories and some great insights on building your influence with people you know and even people you don't know. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Ignite Your Influence Podcast. All right. Welcome to Ignite Your Influence Podcast. Lisa Faye, how are you today? I am awesome. How are you? It's so good to see you again. I'm doing great. I'm wishing I was in Atlanta with you, though, where it's nice and warm. Well, yesterday it was. Now it's taken a little turn, but it's still pretty darn nice in Atlanta. I was about to say little turn. What is it? 65? Well, low low 60s. (laughs) (laughs) It was 80 yesterday, though. It was like, you know, shorts and flip-flops in the city everywhere. I love it. So Lisa, tell us what you do for a living. How do you, how do you make, how do you buy your Cheetos? Oh, you know, well, I never buy Cheetos because I used to work at the Coca-Cola company. So I don't do Frito-Lay stuff. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I'll have to edit that out. That's right. That's okay. No, 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 you can't. This, this will just know people that know me will know that I'm keeping honest with that. Um, You know, what's funny is I used to work for Under Armour and I have a really hard time buying Nike now. So I understand (laughs) what you're saying. It happens. That's right. So how I buy my Diet Coke is- Your non-Frito-Lay products. <laughs> is I work with individuals and teams on how to improve their communication skills in order to accelerate their performance. Because I just have a fundamental belief that if you can impact your communication, you can impact everything else. Mm, totally agree. And as I, as I get better and better at communication, I realize how much I wish I'd been better and better at it earlier in my life. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, building influence, part of that comes from communication, right? Yeah. So where in your life have you had to build influence or in your life now with other people? Well, I would say anytime you are trying to get someone to do something for you, So your basic influence um, skills uh, are started when you're a child, right? My mother was college educated. So I knew the things I could get my mother to approve. So I would get what things I went to her first. And my dad is a salt of the earth farmer meat cutter. I knew the things that I could go to dad for to get him to say yes. Know your people's motivations. Absolutely. Mm, mm, Strong start. And as I did that and then worked in the Coca-Cola company, I actually led the uh, sales training for a while. I worked in sales training three different times over my career. And um, at Coca-Cola, we don't sell on price. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for the cheapest, and I'm not your person, if you're looking for the best value for what you're going to get, I make it worth your while to do business with me because I'm a business partner not just a beverage provider. Mm. So we had to learn 
the importance of what was in it for the individuals that were making the buying decision, what's in it for the company, what are they trying to do, and um, also understand how the, the customer we're working with makes money. For example, soft drinks are extremely profitable to fast food operators, so it's really important that they sell drinks. However, I also manage the lodging and gaming channels. So in gaming, they're giving it away for free. So I don't talk about the profitability, right? They make money by keeping people at the tables and gambling. So then you have to think through how your beverage, your product or service impacts that. At hotels, they've already made their decision that they're going to stay at their hotel. So they measure this thing called REVPAR, revenue per available room. So that's when you started seeing bottles of water in the room for people to buy, because that's how they make their money. Mm. So if you understand what's in it for somebody else and how they measure success, you're more likely to be able to influence them. Well, and that's such an important distinction because so often when we want something from someone else, you know, and I'm not saying manipulative wise, but you yeah. know, when we're, when we're selling or we're, we're managing them or whatever, when we need something from them, we're always usually focused on our thing our yeah. motivation and our agenda. And what you're saying is we need to look at what's in it for them. Absolutely. In fact, selling is more about questioning than it is about telling. So I had the belief, and, and I still do, that if I talk to you long enough, I can find out what your pain points are. And if I know your pain points, I know if I have a solution that is a fit for you or not. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, the best thing I can do is send you in another direction. If my speech isn't going to be the thing that's going to work for your organization and where you're headed, if um, the promotion I was looking at selling, in fact, I spent a lot of time unselling customers on things they thought they wanted to do. Ultimately, everybody um, selects best. Anytime you've made a decision to buy something, you have decided this is the best option I have moving forward. Buying a car, mm, right? Just did that actually the other day. <laughs> oh, awesome. So this, this, this will be good. Mm. So um, the reason salespeople get a bad rap is your average car salesman for a time. I haven't bought a car in a while, so you can tell me if this is still true. You walk in a dealership and they show you the, either the best model, the model that's on sale, the hot model of the day. Um, versus stepping back and say, hey, you're interested in a car. How far do you drive every day? How many people are in your car? What does your dream car look like? Um, are there any financial parameters that are important to you? Is, it, is style or safety more important? So if I hear you correctly, you have a short commute, um, you have a family on the way, and safety is the number one priority. Would that be correct? And you have a budget of between X and Y. Yes. Based on that, let me go show you this vehicle. Mm -hmm. and, and now what you've done is help them find the, their solution. When they walk in and tell you, I want a Jeep Wrangler, the best thing you could do actually is stop and step back and say, why do you, why do you believe the, the Jeep Wrangler is the best vehicle for you? And then you may say, you're absolutely spot on. That is, now we can go into the other step. Or you may say, have you thought about the Jeep something else, right? 
or not a Jeep at all. Well, yeah, right. So how, how was your experience? What, what did you, what did you uh, experience at the, at the dealership? Assuming you went to a dealership. I did go to dealership. It was somebody I bought from before that I know, and he knows me. And I looked it up online, saw the car, said, I'm coming in to drive this car. He goes, oh my God, you're going to love it. And I, I, I bought it. <laughs> there you go. Why What's do that? you go back to him? That's the question. That's exactly why. Because when I went to him the first time, he said, I have this, this, and this. What do you want? You know, and I said, okay, I need this, this, and this. And he's like, all right, cool. Let's put you in this one. Let's put you in this one. See what you think. You um, and it was exactly what you said. And they also have a no haggle thing. So it's not like, I, I, I don't feel like I'm getting like the back and forth to the manager. Oh, yeah, and all this yeah, stuff, yeah. Right. Right. But he has built that influence with me through that Absolutely. questioning and the way that he is, he is uh, building that with me. So when you're teaching people communication, yes, how does communication specifically build that influence? Where do you make that connection? Well, I think you have to think about um, what you are trying to do and who you're working with. For example, uh, when you were working with your boss, you need to think about your boss as a customer, mm. right? Your mm -hmm. job, your unwritten job that's uh, not in the job description is to make your boss look good. Mm -hmm. And if you don't make your boss look good, it doesn't matter how much great work you do. There's always going to be an issue. It's also understanding how you are measured. Just like I talked about finding some with a client, understanding how they make money. Mm. It's, it's important to know how you are measured. So you're spending your time doing the right things mm -hmm. and also creating that elevator pitch about you and your performance on an ongoing basis. So you're getting credit for the right things where credit is due and you have the ability to begin to set yourself up for bigger opportunities for the, uh, a promotion, for a change to a different department, whatever it is you're looking for and being thoughtful about that. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. It's that strategic. And I'm not saying manipulative. You know, every time I get into emotional intelligence oh, and yeah. we get into like, what are other people's motivations? We're, we're, yes, you can use your powers for evil and not good, but we're saying use them for good and not evil. But, but, you know, the, the emotional intelligence aspect is saying, okay, here are my, here's my agenda, but also here's theirs and here's how I can contribute to them as well. If you can't say, have the ability to say what you want is not something I can do. Let me point you in the new direction. Mm. Then you're trying to be manipulative. Right. If you're trying to take their words and bend them to something that only fits you. Mm. Um, and then you're, again, you're still a crappy influencer and a crappy salesperson. I've had people come back to me because I told them the truth when it wasn't what they wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. But later they realized, here's a great Coke example. I had a, um, a, a customer in, in Texas called Corn Dog 7. Um, Sounds delicious. It, it is. And um, Corn Dog 7 was managed by a man named El Ray. And El Ray wanted, to, wanted this certain cup promotion that we were selling. And I said, El Ray, it doesn't, it's not going to do what you want it to do. And he said, but I'd like it. And I said, I get that. I really don't want to sell it to you. Now, I, it would have been to my advantage to sell him this promotion, but I just thought it was the wrong thing for his business. 
And so he said, okay, you're telling me it's bad and I shouldn't do it. And I want to do it anyway. I said, okay, if you're going to do it anyway, I will help you do it the best way I can deem to make it as good as it can be, but I believe it will fail. Two weeks into the promotion, it failed. (laughs) And he called me and he said, okay, you told me so. I'm going to have to eat all these cups. Now, what should we do? And we He's create- listening now, right? <laughs> right. But you have to be, even if what they want to buy is something you sell, if it's not the right thing for them. And again, it's the difference in, in uh, a person that you're going to develop a long-term relationship for. But I mean, in pretty much any influencing building, you should always be thinking about the long game. Absolutely. Thinking about the long game, whether you're in sales, whether you're managing a team. So talk about this communication and influence piece in relation to somebody managing like a front line, Um, you know, somebody managing their own team. Because a lot of times as you know, when we're in a management situation, we need to figure out how do we influence these people who are here for minimum wage and they're perfectly happy to, you know, show up for work and then leave. Where does communication and influence come in there? Well, I think there's still a bigger reason that they're showing up to work and they've chosen to work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think having those conversations about, I mean, I used to do this with people that got assigned to projects, right? Wasn't in their core job description. And I was like, okay, what are you really trying to get out of this, of this activity? It, what would help you in the long run? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people were trying to have it, get experiences they couldn't get in their regular job. Sometimes they needed the ability to lead a team. Sometimes they need project management. When I've dealt with like frontline hourly workers, why are you coming to work and what does this work enable you to do? Sometimes it's putting food on the table. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's paying the rent. Sometimes it's doing my t- paying for my children's college. If I understand their motivation, I can help them work towards that goal and find them opportunities that enable them to both meet their personal goals, as well as do, do the work that we, um, that the company, whatever company that is, needs them to do and find an, a nice win-win. And then they become an engaged employee and an engaged employee is happier, does better work mm-hmm. influences everybody else. So right. it goes down. I mean, I had a guy that worked for me. He could never leave Seattle. He wanted to raise his kids there. And at the time, um, that meant there were limited opportunities for him to get promoted. Mm. He was a great, a great associate, a great leader. I mean, I, he ended up working for me several different times in several roles. But every time I would get an opportunity that might fit him to be promoted, I would call him and I would ask him and I'd say, I know you said you don't want to move. Here's a job. We think you'd be great for it. I want to give you the chance to say no. Mm. Now he yeah. always said no, but he always knew it wasn't that I, we valued him. Mm-hmm. I valued him. The other managers valued him. And I and, think that's such a huge piece of it is I value you more than just the work that you come to work to do. Yeah. I value you for like the whole person. Cause that's really genuinely what you're getting at work. Absolutely. You know? well, it's what you want at work. Right. Yeah. I mean, I really don't want somebody that just punches a clock. 
You spend too many hours at work, not to enjoy what you do, to feel valued for what you do and to feel like you contribute. Yeah. That's what we all want. It's, it's, it's uh, an innate need for us personally. Mm -hmm. I say that all the time. One of the key emotional needs we have, if we want to be engaged, if we want to have the tough conversations, if we want to do the hard work when we don't feel like it is we need to feel valued. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to shift gears a little bit because you're also an extreme international traveler. And uh, we were just talking before the the call here that you're starting to get back on the plane. You're getting ready to go. And uh, you've also have a travel agency business. So talk about influence because I grew up overseas. I've been in countries where you don't speak the same language, where you don't look the same and you, you know, everything's different. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about influence there, because I'm sure you've been in some situations where you needed to get some help or whatever. Talk to me about that. Oh, wow. I think most people, a lot of people complain about France. What I have found is I I do not speak French. And in fact, the few words I do know, I'm pretty sure I'm screwing up the accent. (laughs) Parlez-vous. I mean, you know, it's, I'm Southern. I can't help it sometimes, but people appreciate you trying to communicate. And if they see you honestly trying, people will help you. Um, The most interesting experience I ever had was I was in um, Berlin when the, I was in Berlin when the wall was coming down. Oh, wow. My train was leaving. And if, you know, if you've been in Europe, the trains, you know, they said they leave at 5.05. They leave at 5.05. Mm-hmm. I've got my train appointment. I go to my train. I'm backpacking by myself. It's uh, over Thanksgiving, which means there are no Americans anywhere, um, which I really didn't know till that trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm at the train station and no train comes. And I can't figure out why. And I speak no German. And I finally held up my train ticket and the guy looks at me and he goes, uh, East Berlin station. So I'm at the long train station. Wrong station. So I was like, okay. So I had gone into East Berlin before, but I'd gone through checkpoint Charlie. So I didn't know how to get there. So this one guy, he, he's like points and he's like, okay, I'm go-. what I've get from him is I'm going there. I follow him. He's, he's a local East German. We divide where you have to check your passports. And when I get out on the other side, I'm in East Berlin. Um, it is midnight. There's a couple of street lights. It's cold. And I have to figure out my way to the train station. And this is probably before you had a cell phone with GPS. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. no cell phones. Right. GPS. So I finally, uh, somebody else that's coming through the train station helps me, gets me there. And we go into the train station and I'm trying to talk to um, the man at the train station in the middle of the night. And, you know, um, a sad but true fact is a lot of time homeless people go to places that are open 24 hours, um, which is also true in East Berlin in the cold at the train station. So there's those guys and me. And so I go and I'm trying to explain to this guy how I've, I've got to go. I've, um, that's also when your visas were day specific. So if you said I wanted to be in East Berlin on Wednesday, the 15th, you couldn't go the 14th and you couldn't go the 16th. 
So I needed to be in my next place on the next day or I had to reroute myself entirely. Finally, again, pointing, hand gestures, whatever you can do. And there was a man over to the side who saw me. And when I left the train, after I got out of the little conductor's office, I went and sat down by myself, huddled with my backpack the middle of the night. And now I have to stay up till about 7.30 in the morning to catch the next train. And this man had watched me trying really hard to communicate. So he went over and he bought me a very hard roll and some very black coffee. Oh, nice. And he just came over and he handed it to me. And I said, thank you. And then he sat um, a little distance away. And anytime somebody would come over, like they were going to bother me, he stood up and chewed them away. Huh? Wow. When it came time for me to get on the train, he came, he got me, he walked me to my train, made sure I got in. And when I turned around to thank him, he was gone. Oh, but I think the, the link was the honest ability to try not to yell and not to be frustrated and say, you guys don't speak English. Uh, nope. Yeah. None of them. Germany. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, when I was there and I went through all of Eastern Europe, I think in two weeks, I saw five people that spoke English. So it was all about trying to understand and being helpful where, you know, you could, because sometimes you, you know, if you see somebody drop something, you pick it up, you hand it to them. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, those kind of things build because every people are watching you. They know they know you're not from around here. <laughs> Doesn't take a lot, especially in Eastern Europe at that time of, of the um, in that time period. Social to period, yeah. The fact that you had um, clothes with colors mm. and and clo- and you had options for different clothing. That meant, and you were a woman traveling alone, which was very, very strange for them. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I think there's also something that I say a lot, and it's, it's not assuming that everybody's out to get you, not assuming everybody's bad and trying to take advantage of you. I mean, I'm not going to ask some guy on the subway to hold my purse as the doors open. You know, I'm not going to walk down a dark alley assuming positive intent. But in situations like that, so often we cut ourselves off and we don't open ourselves up to the wonderful people who are out there, you know? And I think the other thing about that is I take that assumed good intent to difficult conversations that you have. When people give you, especially feedback, Mm -hmm. when people give you tough feedback, uh, feedback is tough to give to, to people anyway. Mm-hmm. because you never know how somebody's going to receive it. And some people are better than others at giving feedback. Mm. <laughs> I've always said that I should stop and I should first assume good intent and listen to the message mm-hmm. and then try to step away and say, what did I hear in the message? And then can I go back and verify that from other people? And 99% of the time people have said when I got difficult feedback, especially when it was like just kind of thrown at you and it hits you upside the head and you're just like, what the heck? 
Um, I went around to other people and they said, yeah, that's, that's true. We just didn't know how to tell you. Mm. I was like, wow. Okay. And Mm -hmm. I learned from that. And then I can choose what I want to do with that feedback. I think there's only one instance that's ever been where somebody said, they don't know you, Lisa. If that's the feedback they gave you, that is inconsistent with everything we know. Mm. What's out of like a million times. (laughs) So, you know, most people aren't there to hurt you. Most people are there to help you, but a lot of people don't know how to, to, to deliver tough messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody I heard once say, don't ask what they're saying to you or what this is. Oh man, I'm going to mess this up. But it was the, the intent was, it's not that somebody's trying to do something to you. They're trying to do something for you. And oh. even if they are trying to do something to you, being able to say, okay, wait a minute, what can I take from this so I can get better? And, and what better revenge than if somebody was actually trying to be rude than to take it in a really positive way and make yourself better. Like, woo, hey, look what I did to Absolutely. you. <laughs> but again, like you said, most of the time, people are trying to help. They are trying to, to, do, to do good things. So um, I love it. Responding versus reacting. Mm, yes. It's probably one of the most communication skills that you can, you can have. Mm-hmm. You can. Yeah. Yep. And, and what that does is it, it helps in the long game. As we talk about difficult communication, whether I'm giving you feedback or you're giving me fed feedback, if we can both handle it well, the trust and respect goes up Absolutely. so much Absolutely. and all other communication after the gap, that gets so much easier. We understand each other better. Even if you're not, you know, you're not somebody I would invite to my summer barbecue because you and I are pals, you know, Right. If we can handle those communications in a professional and emotionally intelligent way, the trust and respect goes way up. I love it. And I think one of the things that we have lost of late mm. is the ability to listen to people that have different opinions than you mm. and to listen for the common ground that you have. Mm-hmm. Is as soon as I hear you say two or three keywords, the hairs on my neck stand up and I am ready to go at you with my point of view. Uh, it, is the, it is one of the saddest things that I think we as, as a country um, have lost. Uh, we don't know how to debate anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't take the entirely different side and have a, per, a persuasive argument about it. Yeah. Because, you know, shoot, all the computer does is uh, feed mm-hmm. me things that already reinforce my existing belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the thing that I tell people all the time is that nobody's going to listen to you if you're not listening to them. Like, if you expect these negative communication skills and the attacking and the like all that, you think that's going to do something like uh, constructive? No, it's not going to make a difference at all. They're not going to listen to your opinion. They're just going to think you're a jerk and throw the bad communication back at you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It becomes a, an ugly game of badminton. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where everything just goes pew, 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 woo, woo, into the mud and nothing gets solved. Nobody like feels better about, it. oh, you know what? You're right. I didn't realize like that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So as we think about building influence with people that are, you know, different than us, the best thing we can do is listen because then they'll turn around and listen to us. Wait, what? 
Yeah. And um, one of the things that I work with a lot in my communication skills, I base it on what I've learned in improv comedy. Mm -hmm. And and the two words that are key are yes. And Uh, yes, if you can listen to somebody and find something in there, not that you 100% agree with it, but that you can build on their idea. Mm -hmm. Because the other reality of influencing people is people support what they help create. Mm, Yes. So it is much better oftentimes to come in with a 75% idea and let other people help you refine it. than you bring in the complete solution and say, well, I thought of that. I thought of that. I thought of that. I thought of that. People want to be a part of the process. Mm -hmm. And you want engagement. You want buy-in. You want ownership. If they're part of it, they're much more likely to give you all of that. And I don't want them talking about it in the bathroom because nothing gets changed there either. Right. (laughs) Right. Yes. Gosh. And it's so funny because we think influence sometimes means we have to know everything and we have to have everything put together. But the more we can collaborate and come together, the more influence we're going to end up having. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, Lisa, you are awesome. I've got two last questions for you. Okay. What would your warning label say? If you had a warning label? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, my warning label would say, don't ask if you don't want to know. Oh, don't ask the question if you don't want the answer. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. With tact and diplomacy, of course. You would of course. Say of course. <laughs> and um, craziest, most interesting thing you've ever consumed on an international trip? eaten i am i'm pretty sure it was in china and i'm sure i don't know what it was because <laughs> there's a lot of sometimes you just don't ask you just say thank you you just say thank you and it probably tastes really good <laughs> yeah yep yeah I love it. I, i'm not that adventuresome an e- uh, of an eater so if i knew i probably wouldn't try it. yeah right i grew up on egyptian street food so i'm like oh this looks good pop it in my mouth what was that <laughs> <laughs> I remember we went through the the, the uh, street market in Chiang Mai in Thailand, and I just kept like buying all the food. And my friend's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "I don't know. It looks really good." <laughs> well, you know, I didn't. I did not know you'd spent so much time in Egypt. It is when people ask me one of my favorite places in the world for history, Egypt, hands down. Mm-hmm. I just named my new car Isis after the goddess, not the terrorist group. Thank I you very that. much. She was there first. <laughs> Yeah, no, Egypt was cool. And I lived there when we were in fifth, I was in fifth grade. And uh, just the, the, the mythology and the giant ruins and just the oh, yeah. pyramids and such a neat, juicy, like history for a kid to get into. I loved it. Well, Lisa, you're the bomb. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Episode 128 of Ignite Your Influence podcast with Lisa Fay, speaker, communication expert, and awesome world traveler. If you want to learn more about Lisa Fay, go to lisafay.com. That's L-I-S-A-F-E-Y.com. I'll put that in the show notes if you want a little more from Lisa. And if you're liking Ignite Your Influence, don't forget to subscribe and jump on Apple Podcast and give us a little love. I will see you on episode 129.